Hey, y'all, Pastor Emil here with a, another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. It's too early for ice cream. That's how we got off on all that nonsense at the last episode, because we started talking about, no, you can have ice cream in the morning. We started talking about cereal. You could let the ice cream melt. That's what it was. If you say so. Like I said, I don't listen to this show. So. <laughs> So we uh, were trying to figure out what we did last time and where we were at. And so I pulled up last episode and played it for a little bit. And we're like, what are we talking about? Man, we're about? terrible. <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? This isn't the second yeah. article, part one, two, three. This isn't even anything about Jesus. So um, anyway, we figured it out. And it uh, turns out there's a typo in the title for the previous episode. So we are actually today starting on the second article, part two. and um, That would explain all those angry <laughs> emails you got from the CTCR. <laughs> Breakfast cereal? Jesus, what is that all about? <laughs> so um, maybe we should just get in to this and uh, leave all of the levity and everything for when we actually talk about Jesus. Oh, okay. Or is that worse? I, is that blasphemy or? Well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> I think let's, Jesus sounds like kind of a fun guy, but uh, let's let's not ask anyone. Know. Actually, you know, funny funny story. So I'm on this uh, Facebook group. Uh, it's a bunch of pastors, mostly LCMS pastors. Sounds enthralling. <laughs> it's actually way better than <laughs> most LCMS pastor groups. No, it's it's like, like the anti-LCMS pastor group group. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like, oh, my goodness, yeah. what's wrong with all these LCMS people? Which is kind of, yeah, yeah. I just don't always agree with a lot of what there's. Anyway, there's a guy in there. He's uh, one of my professors. He was one of my professors at seminary. And he shared this thing asking for feedback about uh, this new app where you can talk to Jesus. It's an AI Jesus. And you ask Jesus questions. There's no way that could possibly go wrong. <laughs> so, And he was going to be interviewed by, uh, by Fox by News. By Jesus? No, by Fox News about <laughs> the app. And somehow he drew the short straw at the Bible Museum. That's where he works. Yeah, and so he got stuck going on this interview. I don't know if if the interview happened yet or whatever, but he was asking, hey, check this out. What do you think? I need some material for when I <laughs> go on TV. What's uh, the name of this app? Text Jesus, I think, is the name of the app. Mm -hmm. And it's actually pretty interesting so here's some of the questions that I asked, just to get a sense. First off, when you go to the main page, there's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. There's like the Holy Family. And then there's the apostles, Peter and Matthew. You have to pay to unlock Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Thomas, Judas, Andrew, Bartholomew, Simon, Philip, and Thaddeus. Nobody's paying for Philip. <laughs> well, Judas, though? I mean, I don't know. That might be interesting. But then Christmas. You go down here, it has Santa Claus, <laughs> Mary, Joseph, Melchior, Caspar, Balthazar, really? and St. Nicholas. Those aren't even real people. <laughs> They're characters, right. right? They were never actually real people. Uh, 
here's the funny thing, though. They don't list it on the page here, but if you go into the settings, there's a religious preferences. You can pick a faith tradition. So, like, you can say, hey, I'm Baptist, and I want you to talk to me like a Baptist Jesus. Yeah. Although I will say that it it must have been written by a Baptist because there are, like, even if you pick Lutheran, it still answers like a Baptist, particularly like baptism. Well, a lot of Lutherans like that. answer that way, too. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. But then right underneath faith tradition, it says, enables chats with Satan. Huh. What is that about? And then some of the guys in the in the group were like, I'm pretty sure Satan will talk to you for free. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the first scam, is yeah. that you have to pay for Satan to talk to you. <laughs> like, is it is it this one? Texts from Jesus? Or? That's, this that's is the it? one I got. I don't know about the other one. Okay. But uh, apparently there's more than one. Interesting. So I, um, wow. let's see, my... So I ask questions like, well, first you open up the chat. And, hey there, my friend. I'm Jesus Christ, here to chat with you and offer some brotherly wisdom from the good book. How can I assist you today? And then I say, how should we pick a, you know, so we're hiring a program director for our camp ministry here. Not exactly camp. I mean, there is camps yeah, that are part yeah. of it, but. And he says, when it comes to selecting a program director for your camp ministry, it's important to seek someone who possesses certain qualities and attributes. Look for someone who has a strong faith in God and a genuine love for people. A program director should have good leadership skills, be organized, and have the ability to inspire others. Additionally, they should demonstrate wisdom, patience, and the willingness to serve. In Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, I said, (laughs) this is funny. Mm. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So he kind of chopped it up a little bit, but he, it, it's evident in the text here. Seek out individuals who understand the importance of serving others and are willing to do so with humility. Pray for guidance in this decision-making process and trust that God will lead you in selecting the right person. Remember, my friend, that ultimately it is God who equips us with what we need for our ministries. Trust in his guidance as you make this important decision. That's actually not bad. It's not a bad answer, um, but a lot of AI presents itself pretty well at first. Um, yeah, and then I've heard a few things recently about how it goes off the rails. Uh, so here's another one because one of the Lutherans that drives me absolutely insane. Sorry. Uh, not you. Oh, okay. You wouldn't be here if you really drove me that insane. Good point. They're just these like hyper Lutherans who are like, we don't share the gospel. God does evangelism. He uses us if he if he pleases. Which, you know, theologically, yes, God is the one who ultimately converts and changes hearts. It's the Spirit. Mm. No one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians twelve three. Right. But the implication of what this guy was saying was, you're not supposed to do anything. Yeah. Right? You just, which is exactly what's happening, which <laughs> oh, yeah. is part of our problem. It's a convenient justification. Yeah. So, and then he got, we got into, I, I shouldn't have even engaged. No. But I did a little bit. And I get that there are like gimmicky things, like overly methodical, sure. you know, like, uh, manipulation tactics and all that kind of stuff. And I get that part, but the solution is not to just say, hey, you don't do anything. And then 
in particular, he's like, yeah, Jesus never says to share the gospel. The Bible nowhere says share the gospel. And I'm like, what? what? Like, you're supposed to give it away. I was like, okay, well, at least now you're saying there's something to do, right? But anyway, okay. so this guy is saying this while I'm interacting with the AI Jesus. And I said, do you ever tell people to share the gospel? Absolutely. Check, 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 check. Sharing the good news of the gospel is a central aspect of my teachings. In fact, I encourage so, – so I took screenshots of this and put it in the feed and said, sorry, man, Jesus says you're wrong. <laughs> AI Jesus says you're a chump. Yeah. That was pretty funny. That was pretty long. <sighs> and then uh, – Wow. And then my wife texted me, and she's like, I think we should start – telling people about the location for our next children's book because our dog is mm. the, the subject of these children's books and she's going to start taking trips around the world and teach people about places we've been trying to keep it secret so we could you know drip it out a little sure. bit creatively you know maybe people will guess it right away maybe they won't that's the, b- the biggest challenge trying to find the things that don't totally give it away but get people to think so she's like, this is what I think, and uh, what do you think? And I'm like, well, let me ask Jesus. What does Jesus think? Should my wife and I start revealing the location of our next children's book destination, or is it too early? That was, like, the longest answer, and it was not an answer. It was like, as much as I would love to give a definitive answer, my friend, the decision of uh, when to reveal the location of your next children's book destination is ultimately up to you and your wife. It's important to consider a few factors before making that choice. You know, and then so Jesus on, just went magic eight ball on you. Yeah, he's like, yeah. hey, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, but but it, actually, you know, finding looking for counsel in advisors, many advisors, and you know that kind of thing. So, oh man. And then last night I was in this uh, confirmation class, and I told them about this. I forget how it came up. We were reading through John chapter 3 mm. and where he's talking to Nicodemus. And then I said, why was Nicodemus so confused when you told him he must be born again? And I thought it was actually a pretty good answer, you know. Nicodemus, a Pharisee and member of the Jewish ruling council, came to me one night seeking answers and understanding. When I told him that he must be born again to see the kingdom of God, it was a concept that was difficult for him to grasp. The idea of being spiritually reborn seemed perplexing because Nicodemus was thinking in physical terms rather than spiritual ones. In John 3, 4 through 6, Nicodemus asked, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I responded by explaining that being born again referred to a spiritual rebirth through water and the Spirit. It means having a new life in God's kingdom transformed by his grace and filled with his Spirit. Nicodemus's confusion is understandable because this concept challenges existing beliefs and understandings of religious practices. However, I use this opportunity to teach him about the importance of faith in God's redemptive plan. Anyway, it goes on and on. And mm. interestingly, it was clearly made by a Baptist because uh, he yeah. says water and spirit. Right. So they yeah. missed out on yeah. you know, trans- rebirth and renewal. There's a word for that. You know. Well, that's why we why it came up because right. we were going through the baptism portion of the I catechism. So anyway, I, I don't well, know. So there's, there's, there's Jesus. There's a lot of sermons in there somewhere. I've got a lot to process now. Jesus, help me write a sermon on this. Yeah. Uh, well, 
I guess that's all we have for today, folks. So uh, you heard it straight from Jesus. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, speaking of which, yeah, who is Jesus? And um, that's kind of what we talked about last mm-hmm. time. Was sort of the first part of the explanation. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the second part, which I think we sort of delved into a little bit last time, trying to skirt around it a little bit, knowing mm-hmm. this was coming yeah. up. Uh, but here's the second article of the creed. Uh, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, uh, and it sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And then this next paragraph is the focus for this section. Who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. All right. I got to shut up. So where are we going with this today, brother? Mm. Well, there's a lot there. Um, You know, when we – I know any time I've taught the creed – when we hit the second article, it's it's where we spend the, the most time. And the longer I do this, the more I'm starting to think that's unfortunate, that uh, I, I've, I've started leaning more toward or spending more time in the third article. Um, I think a lot, of, uh, a lot of valuable things get passed over there. But obviously there's a lot about Jesus and his nature and, and – Things that are helpful to know about him that are explained in this in this article, um, and yet at the same time, I do think we tend to overanalyze sometimes uh, or try to overexplain Jesus' two natures, and 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 using good tools. The Bible gives us a lot of helpful language. Uh, to describe the, I, I think the old catechism uh, explanation uh, talked a lot about his attributes, you know, and and those are helpful things. But at the same time, they they still bring us back to the same place, and and that is that he, in his human uh, state and his human nature, he came and accomplished this, and he was able to accomplish it also because of his divine nature, you know, and and his divine origins and combine those two things and, and you come away with the salvation that gives us all hope, you know? So kind of the first part that we, I assume talked about last time, although you never know, we may have to go back. I'm sure we got there. Uh, All of that stuff about Jesus being true God, begotten of the father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary is my Lord. All of that matters because it's the only way to really understand what exactly next, yes, which is yeah. where we are today. How he redeemed me, all of us, you know, people, right? 
a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. So you've got the work of Jesus in in every sense impacts humanity, and it impacts my life in a lot of different ways. It gives me purpose and identity. Uh, it gives me a way of, you know, I th- this explanation really leaned in pretty hard on the serving, you know, thing. And it, it gives me a concept of how to serve, but it also convicts me. You know, I one of the things that I like pointing out is that in the second article of the creed or, or throughout the entire Apostles' Creed, there are two non-divine people mentioned by name. Uh, Mary and Pontius Pilate. And these are two people who bookend Jesus' uh, state of humility, his life in this world, you know, uh, prior to his death and resurrection. And they, they're both representative of, I think, Christ's relationship with us and, and how he how he speaks to something in our lives. You know, Pilate is the person who, despite his best efforts, still gave Jesus over to sacrifice. And in many ways, I, 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 I play the Pontius Pilate uh, in my relationship with Jesus so many times. I have a desire for him. I have a desire to love him and to serve him and to uplift him. But in my sin... I just continually, you know, give him over to the cross, you know. But then I have been redeemed by him. I have been saved by him. I have been given new life by him. And so I bear him to the world, as Mary did. You know, I I think it's – I've always found it interesting that of all the people from the Gospels that could have been picked as instrumental parts of his life to name – in the creed, those two were selected. I don't know if you've ever gotten into that. I mean, they, they seem the most uh, obvious candidates. Mm. Um, you know, Mary gives birth to him. You know, Joseph is along for the ride, but, I mean, you don't know about him. Like, if you're if you're an outsider at the time in history, right, you're looking like, well, is he the father? Yeah, is he yeah. not the father? Yeah. Well, we know she gave birth to him. He came out of her, right? We know that much. And then Pontius Pilate is a guy in history that everybody can recognize that it's under his, this man's leadership that he's handed over because the Jews don't crucify. That's true. Right? I mean, that's the, we're not allowed to do this. <laughs> But Especially around are. around this holy time of year. Why don't you do us a favor? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just really sad the way that that all came together. Just the the conniving, uh, plotting, uh, self-righteous, hypocritical behavior of religious leaders. Yeah. Right? The ability to excuse anything as long as, you know, plausible deniability or yep. something, right? Yep. Um but though I mean, who else would it be? I mean, Herod, I guess. But Herod just says, eh, whatever. I, yeah, I, I'm not interested. He's got his own agenda. Pontius Pilate is the guy. He gets the blame. He gets the credit. And um, 
you know, why is Pilot in there versus others? I don't know. Yeah. Why is Pilot there? Well, because this actually happened in history. That's, I think, the biggest thing. You know, we it's a did, touchdown. Uh, we talked about John the Baptist on Sunday. Mm, yeah. And if you go look at uh, Luke chapter three, the very beginning part, it talks about all these very specific things, just like it does in Luke chapter two, two when you read yeah. through the the Christmas story. Uh, but now it's like fast forward to the time when Jesus and John are now kind of grown up. And they're starting their ministry, and it's labeling all these people in all these different places. Like it's pretty. It's I would say, I didn't look at it before, but um, I think three is far more detailed than chapter two. Mm. And it's like John starts preaching when this guy is ruling this place, this guy's ruling this place, this guy's ruling this place, this guy's ruling this place. Like it's, you know, uh, it's Luke who says at the beginning of Luke chapter one, right? Hey, I'm putting this together, I, I thought it was good to go and, and investigate and put together a, another account, although other people have done this. So he's sort of the reporter. He's the investigative mm. reporter doing the uh, the deep dive into the details and interviewing and, and putting together an account. Um, and so it makes sense that he's very specific about all these things. And I don't know... I don't know if we talked about this last time. I know I've been talking about this recently with a couple other people. You know, this idea about Christmas, like when it was. Mm. Was Christmas, was Jesus really born December 25th? Um, I don't know. I don't it, know if anybody knows. No, it's uh, there's no definitive answer. It's It, it doesn't seem terribly likely. Well, but my point is that it's irrelevant. Of course it's irrelevant. Because all the people that they talk about, like, well, this person was supposedly uh, born or this supposedly happened and th- for these different religions. Well, yeah, those are made up. Those are the things that you claim about Christianity. Yeah. But Christianity, time and time again, archaeological evidence, the one thing we know is that Jesus was born. He was. Yeah. <laughs> and it was during this time. And all these people, they knew about it, and nobody ever – Tries to squash it. Yeah, even uh, even even uh, you know uh, bodies of thought that are uh, very hostile to Christianity uh, have a narrative of Jesus, you know, being born, mm. and it, it it may conflict with you know some of what we have, but the basic reality of his existence is is pretty well established. So. He's born, and he's God and man. But then again, what where we were earlier, it's what he does that sort of holds together this idea that he is both mm. true God and true man. Um, so like some of the questions in, in uh, this version of the catechism, what are we saying when we confess that Jesus has redeemed us? What are we saying? Uh, well... Redemption. I mean, what do you what do you do when you redeem something? If you go to Chuck E. Cheese, you redeem little tickets for prizes, right? Right. So you're rescuing that captive, useless piece of junk that's going to go in the garbage in a couple of weeks anyway. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> you know, an exchange takes place. An exchange yeah. of some kind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a ransom. Sure. Right. 
someone's held captive and you're paying the price for their freedom, their release. Um, so, so that's what happens. And why do we need to be redeemed? Well, we are so screwed. <laughs> we are so awful. You know, we, I say this a lot. I think I say it in here too. You know, people suck. Sure. Kids suck. Yeah. Adults suck. Everybody. Yeah. I mean. And, and I, you know, I find it interesting that this is a, a pretty universally accepted concept. You know, even even here in our society, a society that sometimes uh, is very resistant to the idea of uh, how we present mankind's condition. You know, the the idea of a sinful um, corruption of our nature. Um, people don't like being told by others that this is a condition outside of their control, and yet. They're aware mm. of of their own brokenness to a certain extent. Sometimes we we find creative ways of justifying ourselves, but we're aware of the general state of brokenness around us. You know, we, it it's it finds its way into conversation about society all the time, um, and and yet there is this resistance to the idea of a solution that comes from outside of ourselves. Well, that's a redemption, a rescue, which is also a word in here, right? A rescue implies like you're screwed unless something happens. Yeah. Well, that is apart from you. Someone else takes action. And we, and and we tend to worship at the altar of the self, you know, which is a, a characteristic of a very individualistic society, you know, that you can, uh, that you can, you, you can find solutions within and find the strength within to overcome uh, even your, uh, your own internal struggles. You know, yeah. it's, it's a little contradictory. Um, well, th- this whole thing is putting together two contradictory uh, realities. Mm. On the one hand, we suck so bad. Like, we are just capable of the absolute worst all of us every single one of us yeah and yet we are also loved by god we're also made in the image of god although that's made you know there's a mess because of sin right it's yes we're made in the image of god but holy cow look at us now like Mm -hmm. where wow what how far did we fall really far and how how do you balance those two? And our society, I think, by and large, tries to emphasize the goodness today. Like you're saying, you know, we, yeah. just, we really dislike this idea of sin. We, you know, God doesn't make junk kind of idea that God made me and he made me this way. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, don't give God credit for the fact that you suck. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, th- there is some truth. Like, you got to be careful not to go too far on the whole, hey, you're a terrible, worthless sinner. That's where I think most Lutherans go. I True. think a lot of Christians have gone that way for a long time, or they've overemphasized it, or it's been abused to control people, or, you know, there's right. a long list of things there. But now this other, this reaction 
like this I got I get an email from this guy. I forget stop me if I mentioned this already last time. He's uh he's an interesting guy. He uh kind of trying to focus people on Jesus and get them out of the political craziness mm. that often is uh, taking place in America today. But I got this one email not uh, I don't know a few weeks ago where he's talking about this conversation he has with a guy who shows up just before church one Sunday. It's like five minutes before, and he's a visitor, and he starts, like, grilling him about certain topics. Mm. And then, you know, it didn't go well, and the guy basically went in, grabbed his family, and they left before church started, or, like, two minutes into church or something like that. But this one question that got him, the pastor guy who's writing this so riled up, was something about like sin like wait you don't you don't believe that even your kids are evil (laughs) or that like every human being and he's like no and he's going on this thing about you know original sin is a problematic doctrine and i'm like this is why i can't deal with most christians who are trying to fight back against some of the they always go from the right full-on right to full-on left sure and Jesus himself says we're evil. Yeah. He says if you who are evil, evil know how, to, how give to give good, good gifts, gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to yeah. those who call upon him or the Holy Spirit to those, depending on which, if you're looking at Luke or Matthew. But um, I'm like, I tell my kids all the time that they're evil, and I don't, I don't think it's damaging them. I think it's helping them realize that there's two competing things going on inside them, just like there's two competing things going on inside me. There's my flesh and my, uh, you know, the spirit-filled mm-hmm. person, right? And if you aren't aware of that, it's like Cain and Abel. Sin is crouching at your door. You got to master it or it will rule over you, right? You got to know that you are just as capable of... Uh, Anything that you could imagine, yeah, you are capable of that. And and as soon as you think you're not, I mean, if you just talk to addicts. Who are the people that make it, and who are the people that don't? Which I I found out recently, it's a very very small percentage of people that ever get out of the cycle the cycle of yeah. addiction. Very like hardly measurable the number of people, and the people that make it out are the people that go. I suck. Yeah. And I am incapable of saving myself. I'm incapable of not being susceptible to sin, in a sense. I mean, very True. specifically in their case. But but it's not just that. It's also the acknowledgement that despite my weakness, there is still hope. Yes, exactly. Right? So it's these two. See, a lot of addicts get into that, that place where they, they see, you know, they think of themselves as hopeless and worthless. And so why bother? It feeds the downward exactly. spiral. Exactly. Yes. So I understand why a guy like that goes, oh, I don't want to tell my kids they're terrible. And I'm like, well, I guess I just. <laughs> Allow <spread> me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do it for you. Yeah. But I do it in a way, I hope that uh, demonstrates that I don't think they're anything different than me, first off. So I say, I'm evil, I'm selfish, I'm stupid, I'm arrogant, I'm, you know, whatever, right? I am susceptible to these things too, and we got to listen to the good part that's in us 
And and even though we are that much of a train wreck, God clearly felt there was something valuable within us that something he... redeemable. Redeemable, yes. Yeah. He came into this world in the person of Jesus and endured absolute misery of the highest order, infinitely worse than any pain we have ever experienced, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, all of that stuff, psychologically, whatever, however you want to call it, right? There is so so it's both. It's these good. It's a it's a it's not even a balance. It's two seemingly mutually exclusive extremes that are completely true at the same time. Just like God is both, right? Jesus is both God and man. Right. Fully God, fully man. Not two hundred percent of a person. Still just 100% of a person and yet equally 100% of both of these things. The same is true of us. We are made in the image of God. We are loved. We are valuable. We are precious to God. We have a purpose. We can do all kinds of amazing things in this world. But apart from God, we can do nothing. We are we are <laughs> worthless. Yeah. We are trash. We are so susceptible to all kinds of evil, so much so that we can even dupe ourselves into believing that we're doing good as we're doing evil. Oh, yes, quite easily. And yeah. I think we, you know, we see that a lot of times people, I just saw something recently, maybe it was, maybe it was this morning, like somebody kind of assigning motives to somebody like oh yeah democrats or republicans or this person or that person you know they are clearly trying to destroy you and the entire world it's like i'm pretty sure that's not what they're trying to do probably not i mean they may be i don't know i forget what this was about but you see it everywhere sure but i don't think that's what they're trying to do yeah i i think you know, worst case, I guess they've deluded themselves into believing that they're doing something good, even though it's not. But they probably are thinking that, no, this is the answer, and that's not the answer. And so I'm pushing for this and not that. Mm. You know, this is why one of the ways that I I have tried to change some of the language that I use um, over the years, one of the things I've, I've been trying to avoid is a phrase that – pops up a lot in our circles uh, throughout the church, um, and that is the when we refer to that part of us that is that is destructive, sinful nature. I really don't like that language because your nature is your origin. Your nature is your foundation. And our nature is what God created. And you know what what people you know you mentioned earlier referred to you know god doesn't make junk well no he doesn't and my nature is to be in perfect fellowship with god that nature has been corrupted there's a virus in the software somewhere you know well but this is exactly where everybody gets into the battle sure right because i think technically lutherans would say you're wrong i know right i know um, but and and that's but that's why our, what I'm saying I'm trying to say is is that somehow just like everything else, s- somehow both of these extremes that seem like they can't be true are true are true yes, uh, you know because you can't parse it well enough where it doesn't it, it's like uh, I think we've used this before you know this idea Luther has this idea this quote. 
about theology yeah. is basically like a drunk man trying to get on trying a horse. Trying to get on a horse. And, you know, we just as soon as he falls off, he tries to get back up on the horse and he falls off the other side. Yeah. I think that's, to me, that proves my point that it's always both extremes. Sure. Like, don't even try and get on the horse because that's not it. It's not about balance. Yeah. It's not like, well, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No. You are equally a despicable scumbag and this amazing creature at the same time because as soon as you try to, like, shave off a little bit of one of the edges, you'll lose the whole thing. Absolutely. Because then you get people who, like the world we are in today, where nobody – I watched a, a video, Bill Maher clip mm. from his uh, show last night, actually, and uh, it was about Mr. Beast – you know who Mr. Beast is? No. Yeah, because you're over 40. Yeah. So Mr. Beast is this YouTuber who is doing good, right? Like okay. he started out, he just became a YouTuber. Hundreds of billions of watches of his videos. My kids have seen a lot of them, not as much lately because we dialed back the the social media, all that kind of stuff. But I've seen some of the stuff. And he started out doing really ridiculous stuff, got a lot of views, a lot of ad revenue, a lot of money, young, young guy. And he went from basically just like, okay, I'm going to go buy myself a yacht or I'm going to go buy myself a bunch of sport cars and give it to my friends and see their reaction when I hand them the keys to yeah. their own brand new Ferrari or something, you know, like, like ungodly money, right? That's kind of what we're talking about. And then he went to doing basically philanthropy. So he shoots videos of things like the, the in the Bill Maher video, he got cataract surgery for a thousand people so that they could see again. Like, wow. Okay. And Bill Maher's going nuts about the fact that people are pissed off about this. Like, what are you doing telling disabled people that they're disabled? <laughs> like, that's kind of a thing that Mr. Beast, what? Oh, man. And he's doing it for himself. Oh, look, see how he's profiting off all this? Well, yeah, and then he's pouring it back yeah. into doing more good for other people, which I get the left hand, right hand. I'm a little suspicious it. when people film themselves doing good stuff, but still. But is it not inspiring? I mean, Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't do it. He just says you already have your reward. Right. That's what he says. Yeah. Um, it's the stuff done in secret that has a, a secret reward. Sure. But the point he was getting at, Bill Maher, was that we just, we have this refusal in our society. There's a huge segment of culture in America that says you can't say anything about anyone that doesn't affirm who they are or, yeah. or where they're at, that you are perfect right where you are. No, you're not. You're blind. Yeah. Right? No, you're not. You're deaf. No, you're not. Like the, the two examples I always have, me and my daughter. I was born with a gaping hole, like a literal hole, not the metaphorical, oh, we all have this hole in our heart that only God can fill. Not that, right? I literally had a, a, an enormous gap in the, uh, I think it's the septum, the atrial septal defect. Okay, so the atrium and the septum separating the two walls. One of them has oxygenated blood. One of them doesn't have oxygenated blood. And so when there's a, a gap, that means that 
blood that should have oxygen is mixed with blood that doesn't, and so you're pumping out blood to your body that is lower in oxygen than it should otherwise be, gets you very tired. Uh, it's you know there's, there's a lot of things, but you can also wind up with a stroke because it's not getting filtered. Right. You get little particles in it. My dad had a stroke. That's how I figured this out. When we found out that my dad had this, and then we found out that mine was like orders of magnitude bigger than his, you know, we didn't say, God made you just the way you are. Yeah. You're beautiful in every way. Yep. Don't you dare change. You didn't say that before you got those glasses. No, exactly. There's another thing, right? And then my daughter, uh, born with a club foot, Mm. her foot. I mean, like, your your foot's supposed to kind of be like this. Her foot was like this. The bottom of her foot facing up, essentially, at her. We did not say, sweetie, you're beautiful just the way you are. And all that. She is. Sure. But not in the sense that we're not going to try and fix that. Sure. Because the places where they don't fix that, in Africa, yeah. in South America, in uh, other parts of the world, those kids. It's excruciating. Are, are are destined to a life of ridicule, of uh, being a beggar, being, I mean, they can't walk. How do you walk when your foot, you don't, you know, like there's organizations that go around the world. Cure International, I think, is one of them, among I'm sure many others, where they go to provide these kinds of procedures for people. That's good. Yeah. Right? And if that's true about me, if it's true about my daughter, if it's true about thousands of others around the world, that must mean it's true about every one of us. Every single one of us. The reality. something wrong with us. It doesn't always manifest itself physically, but it does manifest itself in some way. And we have to either, you know, figure out a way to cope with that or fix it if it's possible or, you know, the... We are not, God didn't make that. No. I mean, God made us and gave us life, and then it's the brokenness of the world where things just don't work right. Like, they're just slightly off, and you see these things that that crop up that that's not how God intended it. That's not how he intended it. We got to address that. Mm. And I think that's our role as Christians. We're supposed to, because we are his redeemed people, his rescued people, we go out into the world bringing redemption and rescue and hope because that's what has happened to us. And and we don't do that enough today, I think, because we don't really believe we've been rescued. I think we think more that, well, I was pretty smart and I figured this out and I'm not quite like that person. Well... If we if we think of the rescue as something that falls on our own shoulders, then I truly am only swept up in what I can do for me, you know. And and there is no fix for the rest of the world, you know. It's just me, one person at a time. So yeah. So he, so he redeemed us. How did he redeem us? Well, he died. But is that the whole story? No. First, he had to live. He had to live. And he had to have 
a life that wasn't worthy of death, right? Um, if he lived a life that was worthy of death, he'd be like us. And then he's just another dude dying. That's right. How does he live that perfect life? Well, that's where the whole God thing kind of comes in. And <clears throat> and then it's the humanity that still has to wrestle with the back and forth. Like it wasn't just super easy for him because he was God. You know, I, I think we, that's we, how we, we think downplay the, the idea of temptation and weakness, you know. Jesus knows what it's like to get pushed to the brink, right? And still say, man shall not live by bread alone. Or uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Or uh, you shall worship. The, I forget that with a quote that he uses. The third temptation was saying, First you shall worship only, yeah. only him. Um but, uh, I mean, he knows that. He knows what it's like to feel as if there is no other way out, that this is the solution. Yeah. And if you don't take it, right? So then you have this perfect life and then this awful, miserable death. And then not just the death, but the leading up to the death, the the beating, the abandonment. Of the humiliation. The humiliation, the... Rejection. I mean, if you, I've gone through this a little bit recently. You know a little bit about it. I haven't. I don't want to talk too much about it here, but you know this idea that when you aren't wrong, right? Like there's something that you are supposedly guilty of in the eyes of sure. some, but it's not true. That can be really miserable. It can make you really mad and and uh, frustrated and uh, just a tremendous amount of anxiety, a lack of peace. And this was nothing compared to what I felt when I was up in uh, Ohio sure. going through something just like that. Like, whoa, who thinks this about me? And what do they say? Like, where in the world? And what are they trying to do because they think these things are true? Like. What? And that's on top of the fact that, uh, in many ways, you are guilty and and broken. So yes, so you don't have that complete innocence. So I may not have been guilty yeah. about a particular thing, but I am guilty. Sure, right. And but it, it's it is one of the most miserable feelings in the world. And Jesus is the only truly. You know, it's the only true act of injustice that has ever happened is the cross. That's true. The build up, right? Because he is innocent in every way. But it's the only true justice you and I find. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that there is this payment yeah. that is satisfactory for all the sin of all the people throughout all of the earth, you know, uh, throughout history, that's how perfect his life was, how righteous he was. And sorry, go no, ahead. No, go ahead. And then his righteousness, right? We, we talk about his death, but that perfect life, Luther talks about this great exchange. Mm. You know, so we give him our crap and he gives us his beautiful perfection. Yeah. He gives us, you know, so when we stand before God on judgment day, we don't say, well, here's all the things I did, 
and so you should let me in. There ain't nothing that balances out, nope. right? We there's a great video you can find it on YouTube. I think uh, the Good O Meter, G O O D dash O dash meter, meter, and it really gets at this pretty well. It's written, you know, put together by non-Lutherans, probably a Baptist. So there's a couple of things in there that may make it. Uh, you need to. Yeah. Okay. Got to wrap it up. Yeah. Can wrap it up. Too. Yeah. All yeah, right. I think it's about that time. Sorry. Not a problem. Phone's uh, going nuts in here. Yeah. We can uh, we can pick this back up again too, where uh, wherever we need to, but. Jesus redeemed us, rescued us, and that's why he's here at Christmas. So, all right, y'all. Hey, great hey. to be with you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is sweeter. And enjoy your celebration. Merry Christmas. Yeah. See you soon.